2: Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is a CBC Podcast. Hey,
0: Trana. Hey, Thomas. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> We're back. I'm Trana Winter. And I'm Thomas LeBlanc. Welcome, Welcome to, to Chosen, Chosen Family. family. Every second week, we talk about art, sexuality, and identity with a
1: special guest. Trana, you're a Pisces trans artist who's really into pop culture.
0: And Thomas, you're a Quebecois gay comedian who loves to get up in everyone's business and ask personal questions. <laughs> I am.
1: Trana, it's been three years of us working together. It's crazy. I don't know. I've been thinking about it a lot recently.
0: I know. You've been getting emotional.
1: We started out doing our first pop cabaret together, St. Celine. For those of
0: you who don't know it, it's a show that we made about the life and times of the Queen of Canada, Celine Dion. With uh, drag artists and musicians and us doing stand-up. And now we're starting this new amazing adventure, season two of Chosen Family. This is where we're at now. We hope you get something out of this. At the very least, we hope you're
1: entertained. We really created the show to talk to our heroes. I mean, people who really are lifting the culture up. Someone who's doing that right now is Ryan O'Connell, the creator of the Netflix series Special, which is based on his own life as a gay man with cerebral palsy who hides his disability. I'm so happy that we got the chance to speak to Ryan and you'll be able to hear
0: that conversation a little later in the show. And just a heads up for the folks out there with younger listeners, there is some swearing and open talk about sex during this episode.
1: So, Trana, you've re- you've been reading a lot of uh, Eckhart Tolle. I have. <laughs> and I'm not going to be ashamed about it anymore. I'm not going to be
0: embarrassed. Every time I bring up a new earth, I always have to preface it by saying, like... I know it's Oprah, but just bear with me. It's so important. I'm like, why do I need to say that? Because you're
1: you? attached to people's perception of I you. I am. I'm
0: still <laughs> attached. And it's hard for me to admit. There are a lot of things that are hard to admit sometimes. S- Everyone's lying to themselves. <sighs>
1: All the time. I
0: know it's not healthy, but I've, every night before I go to bed, I do the Instagram scroll. You know, I just go through it until Instagram has told me, you have now caught up on all posts. Get off, bitch. I never get to that point. Oh, I always get to that point. Sometimes I still keep going anyway. I'm like, (laughs) who the fuck are you, Instagram, to tell me to stop?
1: You're really triggered by Instagram. What triggers you on Instagram?
0: I'm triggered by the lying. (laughs) I'm triggered by when I see people that I know. I know that Susan works in accounting, nine to five, And yet here she is in an industrial loft doing an editorial shoot. But she's financed herself, clearly, because what photographer is reaching out to Susan from accounting
1: to come model? Are you resenting Susan because she's stealing eyeballs from you and stealing likes from you? Is that what it is? Yes. Okay. As a performer
0: who uses Instagram as a business tool, as a way to get people to see what I'm doing, I need Instagram. I need followers to support my business because I swear to you, if I didn't, I wouldn't be on it. And that's what sort of baffles me and also infuriates me is when I see people that make it seem like their life is just a magazine and they effortlessly have like 10,000 followers just for being generically good looking and living in monochromatic spaces.
1: Also, like I'm easily triggered by gay guys who are extremely in shape, but then who are casually shirtless in a a situation that doesn't require them to be shirtless. Like when they're advocating trans rights. Oh, yes, that's a classic. And they're just
0: holding, like, a little index card that says trans (laughs) rights in front of their junk. That's a classic. Classic.
1: Are you ever delusional? Of course. What are you delusional about? I mean,
0: okay, the first thing that comes to mind, I (laughs) think... One of the lies that I tell myself and other people is that I'm a really chill person.
1: <laughs> You're not. And I think,
0: you know, even to all the new listeners that we might have right now, like you already know from everything you've just heard that I am clearly so unchill. Oh. I am tense. I am neurotic. I guess a little bit. You I feel are like neurotic. my insides are constantly in a knot. <laughs> I have always envied people who are indifferent. Like even going back to high school, like when I would see kids that would come to class and they didn't do their homework and they didn't care. And I would like do my homework and let's say one day I forgot to bring it and I would be stressing and panicking. Well, yeah. you're just
1: a typical type A obsessive. <laughs> like that's just, just a typical. Just, just that. No, I relate to that. Um, What's
0: one of the lies you tell yourself?
1: Oh, That I, one day I'm going to give up bread. That's a a lie. You know, every day I'm like, oh, next Monday, I'm giving up bread forever. (laughs) Not going to happen. Just today I had a sandwich and a loaf of olive bread. It was delicious. Um, Life's
0: too short. Don't give it up.
1: Also, like I started comedy when I. Turn 30. Um, and I gained a lot of weight, you know, in the, in the past couple of years. It's a constant thought that I'm like, oh, I should, I should diet. I should give up bread. I should give up gluten and sugar. But I was raised on carbs. You know, like. So was I. I was raised on carbs. I was raised on
0: snacking. Yes. One of the biggest lies that I tell myself is that I can do everything alone.
1: Mm.
2: Like,
0: I really have this passionate attachment. To the idea that I don't need anyone.
1: You're extremely self-reliant. Yes. And it's hard to be your friend because of that. Are you serious? Yeah, it is. And I'm like that too. <laughs> I'm extremely self-reliant and it's hard to be my, my friend or my boyfriend is always telling me I'm too self-reliant. But, but hard also, in it's what it's way? Your, it's, your, it's in your birth chart, by the way. Of course it is. Yes.
0: But hard in what, like in what way is it hard to be friends with someone that's very self-reliant? I guess because people feel like they're not needed.
1: Yeah, in a way, in a way that, that you know, like sometimes like I, I do my own thing and my boyfriend's like, well, do you even need me in your life? Right. Like you're out there performing, being busy, working like what's the what 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 room is there for me in your life?
0: I do know I can feel it mm-hmm. like just intuitively that my extreme self-reliance is closing
1: me off. In my case, the layer of fat from the bread around my body is, is, you know, it's a shield. It protects me from other people. What other lies
0: are you keeping
1: uh, or hiding? I mean, another lie I tell myself is that one day I will balance my budget, my spending plan. You know, I have. An I can help you with that. <laughs> I'm an overspender. And you know, big revelation. I I have declared bankruptcy in my life six years ago. Like it's a huge thing. I only told you recently. I know.
0: I was shocked.
1: Yeah. So it's a. It's, but it's not that
0: there should be any shame in that. Um. I don't think it's something that people should no. get shocked over.
1: No. But I. The way I see it is is an addiction. You know. And I'm an addict. I'm an addict in recovery for so many things. And credit is definitely a substance. And as much as I try to stop, and I've gotten so much better. I know. I know, Trana. That you see my behavior.
0: I do. <laughs> well, I got a glimpse of it just last week. Thomas and I um, produced a new cabaret show about Britney Spears. And in the show, Thomas does this exercise sketch. He plays this, like, douchebag guy going to the gym who loves listening to Britney at the gym. Thomas... He's not gay, bro. Yeah, he's like, not gay. Voice, he's yeah. not gay, but he loves Britney. Um, <laughs> And I get to the green room where Thomas and I are getting ready. And I just see Thomas starting to pull out all of this exercise gear, like an exercise ball and weights and this giant water bottle. And I'm like, why
1: did you get all this stuff? (laughs) And I have this secret hope. I have this ideal that, you know, maybe this one time that's going to work out and I'll exercise at home. I don't know. I think what's
0: interesting in talking about your delusion about getting fit and my delusion about becoming a chill person, you kind of touched on it earlier that these delusions are pointing to some kind of ideal that we're trying to strive for, this kind of betterment mm-hmm. of ourselves. To be very honest, and I'm sorry to bring it back to it, but that's why a new earth is really <laughs> is really speaking to me because yep. we all have this idea of like, the true self the better self but the reality is is that the self in its purest form is nothingness
1: I can't wait to watch you on Super Soul Sunday with Oprah
0: it's the most freeing idea for me I'm just like you know what I just want to be nothing and I want to be okay with being nothing but can I actually do that? (laughs)
1: that's
0: probably the biggest lie I've ever told myself (laughs)
1: Simon says straighten. Oh, that asks everything to me. Hey, hey, focus. Yeah? Say that for grinder.
2: I love that you think I have enough self-esteem to be on Grindr. What would my profile even say? I'm gay and disabled, but I promise not to drool on you until the third day. There are plenty of drool fetishists out there. Flex your foot.
0: I know everyone is always recommending their favorite Netflix show, but
1: Special is so good and I'm so obsessed with it. The show is created and written by Ryan O'Connell. I remember a few years ago he was writing for this blog called Thought Catalog and he was writing these really personal essays about his life, which eventually led to... I'm Special and Other Lies We Tell Ourselves. That's the title of a book he published in 2015. And during all that time, he was hiding his own disability. That's what inspired Special.
0: I know the word gets so overused, but I really feel like the show is groundbreaking in the way that it represents people with disabilities. Watching Special reminded me of when I was a kid... There were no trans characters on the shows or the movies that I was watching and when there were trans characters. It was a negative depiction. Always. Like, yeah. they were either depicted as drag queens or just these, like, weird deviant sort of people that it, I think on some level it actually made me ashamed and kind of scared to admit to myself that I might be trans myself. Mm. And I feel like Ryan has really done this beautiful job of allowing people with disabilities to finally see themselves reflected in this honest and joyful way. We talked to Ryan about just how important that kind of representation is.
2: Yeah, it's largely an unexplored field, which is crazy to me because one in four people identify as disabled. So that's 25% of the population that you're just not serving, which like, to be a jaded bitch about it like I just feel like that's bad business like how like it's kind of like how every time like crazy rich Asians or bridesmaids or black panther happens and people are like wow people will go to these things and you're like yeah babe because we have nothing we have nothing and that's and by the way those movies were all great but honestly they didn't even have to be great. <laughs> like right. think about how like sh- how many like shitty gay movies that we had to sit through, like or like you know what I mean, like some B list like blockbuster video shit. When you don't have much to go off of, like we show up. You know what I
0: mean? I honestly never knew that it was one in four people that identified as disabled. um And I totally agree with you. Like especially given that number, it is. Terribly bad business and quite shocking, honestly. Have you felt like a
2: direct response? Do people reach out to you? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think that when you're one of the first people to tell a story about a population of people that have been largely ignored by society, I think you definitely feel the burden of representation. And, um, you know, my experience as a a disabled person uh, is very specific, and I wouldn't claim to speak for the whole generation of disabled people. That's literally impossible to do as a storyteller and doesn't serve anyone, really. Um, So I was really nervous about the response from the disabled community, and I just wanted to make sure that people could see themselves in it, even if it wasn't directly their experience. And they, everyone has been so incredibly supportive in a way that has kind of blown my mind. But yeah, it's overwhelming, I think. I think that when you make something so personal, people feel connected to you um, and like they know you. And, um, it's, it's a lot. It's not like, you know, I just starred in like, you know, some like fucking like, you know, network sitcom about some, you know, a child that was dropped off on some bachelor's doorstep. like <laughs> 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 And he had to grow up. He had to figure it out. You know what I mean? Like, who cares? <laughs> like, literally, who cares? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so it's, uh, it's really intense, but it just feels really nice to be accepted because I think I was really seeking that approval and acceptance from the disabled community above anyone else. In preparing for the interview and
0: everything, I'm like, how do we refer to the character on the show? Because it is you, but I'm assuming it's, to some extent, a fictionalized version of you. Is this like the equivalent of Mariah Carey starring in the Mariah Carey biopic? Is this you <laughs> starring
2: in your own biopic? No, although I would, lo- I relish any opportunity to be compared to Mariah Carey, <laughs> so I don't want to throw that out of bed just yet. Um, I would say that it's an exaggerated version of me. Um, I was never that arrested development. I moved out of my parents' house when I was 18. I lost my virginity at 17. Um, so that part is fictionalized. I was never never as far gone as poor Ryan is when we first meet him.
1: Right. On the show, Ryan lives with his single mom and they have this like really codependent relationship that can get pretty messy sometimes. Like as an only child of a single mom, I really related to that storyline. Why was it important for you to talk about that relationship?
2: Well, I think it was wish fulfillment, honestly, because my mom is someone who's always historically put everyone first before her, before herself. And um, she's never examined what her own needs and wants are. And I think... I think in a way, it's easier for people to funnel all their energy into someone else. It's like when your hood is smoking and there's like literally like you're like you're on fire, but it's like, no, everything's fine. What, what's going on with you over here? Um, so I think about it's easier for my mom to kind of just like be a super mom and take care of everyone. But I, as an adult, it's really bummed me out because I just see that she particip- participates in no self-care and she does truly nothing for herself. So doing this show was sort of, a way for me to work out those that sadness I have for her a little bit like and kind of really be like, okay, what would my mom do if she really took stock of her identity and started to look at herself outside of the role of a caretaker? Did you talk openly about that with her? I did, but she's not the most introspective person. Um, I don't think that she likes looking under the hood. So in terms of having like a cathartic, emotional conversation mm, she's limited you know what I mean and I'm not saying that as like shade no like it's just sort of is what it is like my mom could do a TED talk about the littlest thing but when you go into deeper subjects with her she bristles and she retreats and she gets very defensive but in a weird way I don't need that from her anymore I feel like I spent so much of my life um, and maybe people can relate to this. I think I, I looked at my mom so much of what she wasn't instead of focusing on what she was. And I would get angry because I wasn't emotionally intelligent enough to really process it as a sadness and kind of an empathy for her. You know what I mean? So instead, I would just be like, why is she not this way? Like, why doesn't she like take care of herself in this way? Why is she always putting people first? And now I'm just like, OK, that's who she is.
1: I have to ask your Virgo. What's her sign?
2: Oh, my God. Good cue. She's March 7th. What is that, honey? What's March 7th?
0: March 7th, she's the
2: Pisces.
0: Of course, she's oh, putting twist. other people first.
2: <laughs> yeah, so she's taking care of everyone. And of course, by the way, as a Virgo, of course, I'm trying to fix her because that's all we fucking of course. do is try to fix, fix What fix. a match. What a, what a match. match. Think of your
0: favorite one-hit wonder.
2: Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon.
1: There are so many iconic scenes on the show. One of them is when Ryan's co-worker, Kim, reveals that she's deep in credit card debt, like she is totally broke. You're a really good writer at writing cringey realness.
2: I was really interested in tackling money because I think that our generation... It's so screwed in terms of achieving the milestones of, like, owning property. Like, I'm, like, when am I going to, like... Like, I look at how much I've made every year, and I've done pretty well for myself as a TV writer. And um, I'm just, like, oh, I'm I'm still, like, so not close to owning a house. Like, I don't understand. Like, am I going to literally just, like, still continue to make good money but never own property? And, like, it's just interesting. It's It's... It's a different... But then everyone seems to be, like, online, everyone seems to be, like, li- like living like a Rockefeller, even though you know it's not true. So I wanted to create this commonality between Ryan and Kim that, like, they both go to extreme lengths to kind of appear palatable to the world around them like they both do mental gymnastics like for ryan it's like i'm disabled but like i'm a car accident victim so don't worry it's not scary and like i'm just like you i'm very relatable and for kim it's like okay like i'm a curvy brown girl but like don't worry i look so chic and i'm like really funny and like i just think that that's something that truly almost every minority minority or marginalized person goes through without even realizing it is like how much of our existence it revolves around like making everyone else around us feel comfortable you know what I mean yes I uh, when I watched it after
0: that scene I felt like it was a great reminder to just be real with people
2: yeah I mean I think that's kind of like what the show is all about is like people just like struggling to live their truth and their authentic selves I think that because I was in the closet about being gay for 17 years and in the closet about being disabled till I was 28 I truly just like don't give a shit anymore i'm tired (laughs) (laughs) i really i spent so much time trying to make everyone else around me feel good and try to present a certain way and i just don't care honey like i just don't care i really don't and it's such a like no and also no one cares all the things you get in your head about is like like no one cares as much as you do like no one's thinking about it you know what i mean I'm curious, just as a tangent on
0: that, like when you reach that moment of no longer caring and sort of just liberating yourself from that burden, do you feel like that's when things really started to come together for you professionally as well?
2: No, I I was already writing for TV and I already had written my book, but uh, it opened up my love life for sure because I... I didn't really date, I never really hooked up with anyone, I was celibate for long stretches of time, because I just was really nervous, like, navigating the dating apps as a disabled person was really tricky for me, because my case is mild, and I felt like, hmm, like, I, I don't want to say on the app that I have a limp, because I feel like I don't, I truly don't think it's that big of a deal, and it doesn't really impact my life, and like, but But also, to not leave it feels a little. I don't want anyone to go on a date with me and feel like they've been lied to because God knows we've all been like on Grindr and someone said that they're like, you know, 35 when they're like, and you show up and they're truly 55. (laughs) Um, And you're like, why did you think this was a good idea? Like, you know, I know you're a liar and now we have to have sex. I'm confused. Um, So I just like, it was a really weird space for me to be in. Like, I just didn't know what the right answer was. So I kind of just opted out of it altogether. Um, And then when I came out of it being disabled, I just didn't give a shit. Like, truly, it was like, mm, yep, I'm just able to Google it, bitch. Like, you know? And then once I started doing that, like... Um, life just kind of opened up for me in a really new, exciting way, and I just because. And really, what it was was just confidence. Like, I just had the confidence to go after men, and um, people. And this sounds really corny to say, and it's a tale as old as time. But people are supremely attracted to confidence. So even if you're like not the best looking person in your eyes, or you have like, the best body, if you <laughs> walk around like you do, people will, like will be like, "Oh, chic," and they'll be so into that. People are so like horny for authenticity and like vulnerability. Like they're just like like they that just turns them on confidence honey. Well,
1: I, I will say that I'm pretty turned on by you. Like just the way <laughs> oh, you're well. the way you're confident, and you've been pretty straightforward about wanting to be objectified. And I love the yeah. idea of being just open, being honest about that. Um but there's a darker side to wanting to be objectified. Why what is driving that need for objectification?
2: I think that when you've been desexualized by society completely because, like, disabled people, I mean, we're not even acknowledged, period, so there's that, but if we are, it's usually, like, you know, we're infantilized or we're pitied or whatever, so um, even if we are lucky to join the discussion, um, we our sexuality is never um, discussed and we're never seen as desirable and that really did a number on me especially as a gay man because it's you know like it's hard out there like gay men can be rough in terms of like superficiality it's just a thing it's a thing that's real (laughs) um and um so yeah so that was really really challenging for me and um i think it's kind of created this like bottomless pit of need inside me like i need the validation because i just was so ignored for so long um and so I think on one hand, like wanting to be objectified can be empowering, but it also comes from like a dark, sad place. So it's just like very complicado.
1: One of the scenes on the show, Ryan decides to lose his virginity with a sex worker who comes to his apartment, his new apartment. He just moved out and they have this like really beautiful encounter. And it was really, really touching and really freeing to see. And I've always been really fascinated with sex work. I... I had this secret dream of doing it myself, to be honest. I think but we've I, all oh, that go yeah. off, honey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, but, I'm, but because I feel it's actually a really empathetic profession. Like, yeah. I feel yeah, there's so much empathy in sex work. And I feel that you beautifully captured that relationship between Ryan and the sex worker. Um, and you've said in other interviews that you've hired sex workers yourself. So, how did you come to that place of being okay doing
2: that? I think uh, I didn't start using sex workers until I got a boyfriend, which is truly like the biggest irony of all time. But, (laughs) you know, I got my boy, I I got into a relationship with my boyfriend. I was 20 years old. I just started to really feel myself like my body, feel confident in my own skin. And I was very upfront from the very beginning saying, you know, if we are going to do this, like I can't really subscribe to monogamy because I have a lot of catching up to do. And, you know, so we're open and, you know, Being open, like, we're not gay robots. It's like, you know, like, I mean, it's just, it's complicated. Like, okay, who do you fuck? Like, do you fuck your friend groups? Like, that's kind of messy, even though some people do it. I think that using sex workers was a safe space for me to really work out that stuff and get my yaya's out and like feel objectified and have sexual experiences without having like the messiness of an overlap. You know what I mean? I feel very, very fulfilled in my relationship emotionally. Like I don't need that. I, I just want uh, someone who I can explore my body with who won't judge me, who understands, who understands the like sexuality, all that stuff. And um, that's why I left sex work.
1: And a sex worker is an expert. That's their profession. Yes. Like they're yeah, good at it. Job. They, yeah, yeah. And they, They've practiced this craft <laughs> for a really long time.
0: I mean, you've opened up the conversation through special about disability, but about so many other things. And I think special is a major step in destigmatizing hiring a sex worker.
2: Yeah, because I'm like, I feel like the sex lives of gay men. It's, like, still a mystery to a lot of people. Like, I even get, like, exhilarated when I'm, like, at a gay bar or I'm at a dinner party with all gay men and we start talking about our sex lives. Because it is, like, truly, it can be, like, wild. Like, there's just, like, a lot going on, honey. Like, you know what I mean? And, like, when if I'm in a group of gay men and I talk about how i to sex with her, they're like, ah, oh, yeah, duh. Like, they just get it. It's, like, a shared language. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. So you spend your mid-20s in New York writing for a Thought Catalog. Spending a lot of time thinking of how to go viral with your own experience. Um,
2: Yeah, it's super healthy.
1: (laughs) I mean, some of the titles of your articles. I remember reading your articles and it was what, like 2011, 2012? Uh Yeah. Mm -hmm. So some titles, I Hate My Body, Five Things Straight Men Do That Annoy Me, Coming Out of the Disabled Closet, (laughs) How to Lose Weight, Like Actually Lose It. Um, have f- <laughs> I mean, these kind of work, is it a trip down memory that, lane yeah. for
2: you, Ryan? <laughs> no, it's like a trip down memory, like yeah, like shame, like literally, like <laughs> oh my god, that is yeah. so funny. I I have not read any of that stuff in years. Like I, I I just feel like I purged all of it. I I don't know. I feel like I would totally cringe looking back and reading that stuff. Like, was it you know b- holds up?
0: Was it as bad a time for you as it's depicted in the show?
2: It was worse. I mean, I was also addicted to drugs, which I don't talk about on the show, but I've talked about it in my book and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it was bleaker. Because, like, special's still, like, a kind of... Like, it's dark sometimes, but it's still, like, a joyful, warm show. And I think that my 20s in New York were was none of those things. I think my 20s in New York were, like, me on pills, struggling to find my friend group, struggling to find my gay tribe, having no one touch my dick for, like, two years, like... It was, it was very bleak. It's like not a comedy. (laughs) I I
1: kind of want to see that show as well. Yeah, me too. I really share that experience because also in my mid-20s, I was a high-functioning drug addict. Like, same as Mm. you, I hit bottom. For me, I had to do traditional recovery. Do you feel that in order to come out as a disabled person um, at 28, you had to hit bottom before that?
2: Nah, I don't know. It, it, it was it was incremental changes. So like I moved to LA, I got my dream job, I stopped doing drugs, I gained some weight because I was in a writer's room, but then I learned, like, then I discovered like the power of exercise, which put me on a self-love journey towards my body. Then I found a boyfriend. You know what I mean? Like, like it just kind of like, it, it wasn't like a, an overnight shift at all. It was just sort of, I just slowly got my shit together, very slowly, like bit by bit by bit.
0: Yeah. And I think people are probably looking at you now as this example of change and being like, oh, fuck, like I want to change too. And they're maybe jealous, but I think ultimately inspired. Um, And I just kind of want to wrap up talking about um, Will & Grace just a little bit, because you were a writer on the Will & Grace reboot. Were you a fan of the show when it originally aired?
2: Oh my God! Yeah, are you kidding me? I think I was like probably twelve when I first saw an episode and was like, uh, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> like I'm like, I like, I I saw like Karen Walker and I was like, so this is my sensibility. This is like my comedy sensibility. Like, I I've never seen comedy like that before. Like, we're basically now we can identify it as like camp and like having a gay sensibility. But I was like, why is everything this woman saying the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life? You know what I mean? Yes. And so what
0: was it like for you to have this full circle moment of ending up in the writer's room of
2: the reboot? It was crazy. I got to say something. I was in that writer's room for almost a year. I only wrote on the first season. Um, I don't think I ever felt fully at ease in that room. I think it was so... I, I, I was just, like, working with my idols. Like, I, like, literally was, like, I was seeing Deborah Messing every day. I was seeing Megan Mullally every day. I was seeing Sean Hayes every day. I was seeing Eric Moore. Like, it was always so surreal. It never stopped being surreal. And just, like, writing dialogue for Jack or whatever. Like, I... It was so crazy. In a good way, right? Like, it was a good terrifying,
1: Yeah, it was good. Yeah. yeah.
2: No, it was, like, I just couldn't believe that I had a seat there. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that Like, I was, like, involved with all of this. I just felt very privileged... Ryan, yeah. thank
1: you so much.
0: Thank you so yeah, much. Course. It was so great to talk to you, Ryan.
1: Ryan O'Connell. The clip you heard earlier was from his Netflix series Special. Check it out. Obsession. Obsession. What are you obsessed with? What am I obsessed with?
0: This is an ongoing segment of the show where we talk about our obsessions because we're both very obsessive people. And this week, we are obsessed with... The rebranding of Jerry Halliwell,
1: a.k.a. Ginger Spice.
0: I was reading the reviews from the Spice Girl stadium tour, and they're just referring to Jerry as Jerry Horner. Jerry ever. Horner. Jerry Horner. Like, she's just here now. Yeah, because she's married to this guy, Christian Horner. Christian Edward Johnston Horner <sighs> from Warwickshire.
1: Yeah, he's he works for Red Bull F1. And they they're this like socialite couple now. So
0: Jerry is really kind of like what Madonna went through when she met Guy Ritchie. Like suddenly she's like a lady of the English countryside. And that's what Jerry
1: is sort of trying (laughs) to
0: position herself as now.
1: And I'm not buying it. I I don't know if you felt that way, but, you know, taking the last name Halliwell from me and from the fans is not okay. And in Montreal, Quebec, where we do this podcast, um, it's actually illegal to change your last name to your spouse's name. Like, since 1981, it's been like this. I think it's great. It's a pretty feminist. uh, It's pretty badass. I
0: like it. I know. And that's what's so weird about Jerry jerry rebranding herself as jerry horner is that jerry was all about girl power there you go even though a lot of celebs might actually change it legally they don't change their stage name.
1: Right, exactly. Like it's it, awkward. It's like, it's like if Britney Spears was Britney Federline when she was married <laughs> <Yeah>. to, <laughs> to K-Fed. And the Spice Girls mean so much to us. Like, I know. You know, like I was 11 when they came out with Wannabe. I didn't speak a word of English, and Wannabe was the first song I kind of understood. I feel like even reading Horner, it it's triggering for me because...
0: <laughs> Whenever anyone I love gets engaged, I, like, have this panic. I'm like, I'm losing them. Yes. I'm losing them. They're gone. Yes. And now we're losing Jerry. Well,
1: we're losing—we started losing Jerry really also when she stopped being a ginger. You know, she dyed her, her hair blonde, and I'm I'm a ginger guy.
0: See, representation is important.
1: <laughs> well, she's back to yeah, ginger she's now. she's back to ginger for the tour. But, you know, it's funny. Even
0: in the tour, she's wearing this dress— That is so gigantic and it's made to look kind of Elizabethan. Like she really (laughs) thinks now that she's married to this Horner man, that she's British royalty. This is her delusion.
1: This is her delusion. She thinks she's royalty. There we go. There we go. Do we have anything else to say about that? No. That's it. (laughs) China time for credits chosen family is produced by me thomas leblanc and me tranna winter our talent producer on
0: this episode was catherine stockhausen who is really just the coolest person i've ever met our editor is crystal Duham. there would not be a show without crystal chosen
1: family's music is by the lost boys
0: judy CE, gu and
1: olivia pascarelli are our digital producers and they are so much fun to work with Tanya Springer is a senior producer of CBC Podcasts, and Arif Nirani is the executive producer. Thank you so much for your support.
0: Also, a big thanks to Tally Abacasis, Mira Burt-Wintonik, Brendan Francis Noonan, and Lulu Miller. To commemorate the launch of Season 2 of Chosen Family, we are taking you on a tour of Montreal to meet some members of our Chosen Family. Come meet the people who make us laugh and give us life, you guys. Find it all on Instagram at CBC Podcasts in our stories section.
1: And give the account a follow. Also join our Facebook group. You'll find lots of behind the scenes content and photos there as the season goes on. Chosen Family is a CBC podcast originally developed in association with Fi Studio.
0: Listen to Chosen Family wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out season one.